Integritous Leadership, Whole and Complete with Barry Berman, and it's subtitled, An Easier Way to Be an Extraordinary You, This is What Has My Attention. What is leadership? And what is the nature of leadership on the court as distinct from observing leaders, studying leaders, their traits, and characteristics? Today we're talking with Barry Berman from IntegritasConsult.com, and we're going to be talking about the four pillars, the foundational elements. Number one, being real and authentic. Number two, your willingness to be responsible for everything in your life, and you give up the right to blame anyone else. Number three, being committed to something much bigger than what satisfies you, your concerns, and what you're out for. Number four, integrity. The organization is whole and complete and honors what it is presenting out to the public and standing by what it offers its employees and vendors and others who interact with the organization. Well, Barry, welcome to What Has My Attention podcast. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Now, did you see the little red light or something that said recording? Yeah, it's right up on the left side. So be careful what you say. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so Barry and I have known each other, I don't know, probably a year or something like that. And we actually met yeah. through Lon and Sandy Golnick at Relationship by Design. Yes. So anyway, because you've been a huge supporter of them and... and uh, you're in Colorado. Whereabouts in Colorado are you? I'm near Boulder, Colorado. Currently, I'm in an office uh-huh. uh, in Louisville, Colorado. Nice. Very nice. So to let everybody know, to find out more about Barry in terms of his uh, just you know his bio and everything else, just go to integritasconsult.com. Is that correct, Barry? Yeah, and right on the screen, spelt that way in one word. Yeah. How'd you come up with that name? That's interesting. I looked it up. I looked up the word integrity, and it was a Roman soldier statement. They went, integritas, which meant whole and complete. That's what this word is about, integrity, this work. Whole and complete. Yeah. We've had some conversation. You recommended you really wanted to talk about leadership, though, today, right? Yes. One of my favorite topics. Yeah, nice. So So why is it so favorite to you? Well, before I say that, I just wanted to say a lot of these ideas are from uh, three or four people who have been working on this. Uh, that is uh, Werner Erhard, Mike Jensen, and Steve Zafron. Mm-hmm. Um, just attributed to a lot of the ideas that they've come up with, and then, of course, my own take on such things. Mm-hmm. But uh, leadership is very interesting. If you look up on Amazon, John, there are at least 30,000 books on leadership development, Mm. which then keys me to think, hmm, maybe people don't know that much about what leadership is if there's that many books. Mm -hmm. There may be actually more. So it suggests to me maybe people don't know anything about it. There probably ought to be one or two books that you read them and you actually be a leader. Yeah. And uh, that's not the case, my understanding. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how I. Do you have any favorite books on Amazon? Oh, a- on Amazon and leadership, or just you know, it doesn't have to be on Amazon, but just just on leadership alone. You know, uh, leadership in the new science—that's an older book from 
the 1990s. And there are other ones. Well, mm -hmm. of course, Excellence, I can't remember their names now, mm -hmm. where they studied companies that were extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It's interesting enough, those same companies years later were not extraordinary anymore. So something happened. Did you, do you have you followed Simon Sinek by any chance? I have not. Uh-huh. He's got a whole, he's got a whole different take on it, which is uh, really that just because you have authority doesn't make you a leader. Right. And then a leader is actually someone who is in basically in charge of helping other people help other people. Yes. So talk to me more about your take on leadership. What, what is leadership? Well, that's a whole, there's a program we offer called being a leader and the effective exercise of leadership, which addresses the whole area of leadership. Mm -hmm. But most of the development programs out there, and there are many very, very good ones are designed to study and investigate and look into the traits, you know, the characteristics, John, the mm -hmm. attributes, the mentoring of awesome, great leaders that you may know, like in the business world or people like Gandhi or Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. to study and see what it takes to be a leader like them. The only problem is that's kind of like being up in the stands watching a football game. Mm -hmm. What's going up on the stand, uh, going up on the, you know, up in the stands is a lot different than what's going on in the field. Mm. You know, what you observe, what you see there is not actually what's going on in the game. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at it. Well, what is it? What is leadership really on the court when you are confronted by dealing with a situation you don't have time to think about? what a great leader has to do, you know, or let's say you're in the battlefield, which I've never been in. So I've seen lots of World War II movies and naval movies. And, uh, you know, you have to be effective in the moment. You've got to be free to take action, to think in new ways, to explore, to lead others and sometimes commanding them, let alone trying to enroll them in doing something. Um, you're, you don't have time to figure it out. You'll, you'll die if you're figuring it out Yeah, in that context. So it requires a little bit of, about being nimble, right? And flexible. Yes. Very nimble and flexible. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at the common way, everyday thinking about leadership is, uh, I'm going to use a strange term, epistemological. There's a certain epistemological mastery that is knowing knowledge and information. If I give somebody enough knowledge of what a leader is and what a leader should be and how they should behave, uh, they ought to go out there and be a successful leader. But that's not the case. It's probably why there's 33,000 or more books out there. And how many? No, I don't know how many courses. Uh we come from a different mastery of something I call ontological, which is being on the court. It's the being part of a person, mm. who they're being, what, you know, uh, as compared with knowing about, inf you know, innovation and leadership. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar? That's a tough one to get at. Yeah. Are you familiar with the bee have? Be do have. Be do have. So is it along yeah. those lines? It is. Because most people, it's the other way around. Let's see. If I 
If yeah, I explain have, explain it to our listeners. Yeah, if I uh, usually it is well, let's uh, you do have ha, you know I've got to have the right information and the right knowledge and the right skills, and then I would do anything plumbing, yeah. <laughs> electrical. Uh, then I would be effective and get the thing accomplished. But I think that's a hard road to hoe. Mm. It's usually if you are free to be, free to act, the being part of it, uh, and with obviously knowledge that you're going to need because you just can't just do that, uh, and, and you get out there and you do the things that come naturally to you, like your own natural self-expression in that area that you are committed to, you'll be a lot more effective. So... That's kind of the overall context of what I was uh, coming to talk to you about. I wanted to talk to you more about the four foundational elements we've seen to have an extraordinary life, to be a great leader, and even to have great organizations. Go for it. So I thought we would discuss that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, the, f the first of the four is what I would call being real and authentic. You know, acting behaving with how you hold yourself out to be in life. Um, and when you're leading, it leaves you being straight with people. You know, what you see is what you get. I'm not hiding anything. I'm telling you exactly how I feel about these things. That doesn't mean you throw up on everybody, you know, right. about how you feel and what my internal state's going on. But it's like, uh, being straight with people. Mm. You know, I really appreciate that. I have a, you know, this new business, Imagine Podcasting, um, started in July 2020 and uh, immediately uh, took on, uh, actually have a bookkeeper. Her name's Jessica Hornbeck. Big picture results. There you go, Jessica. You just got a plug. <laughs> and she's from New York. Oh, I know that. I'm from there too. So yeah. So it's like straight shooter. You're going to know exactly what I think about it, how I feel about it. And my creative director is the same. He's from New York. And I love these people because everything is just straight out front, know exactly where they stand on stuff and they don't hold back. And they're not hostile or angry about any of that kind of stuff at all. They're just yeah. straight out, you know? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I had to confront in my own life was I noticed I had a certain covert hostility, you know, would be kind of like I would have a bat behind my back and I would, I would be really angry, but I, I would cover it up mm. and be nice. But you could read the anger that's behind there. Sure. And, uh, you know, being inauthentic is what I would say would be the one of the big things that gets in the way of people listening to you, uh, someone I'm going to listen to, you know, covering up something that's happened in my life that I uh, didn't want to happen or a facade of some kind, or you put it on some face. Mm. And, you know, people can read that. They mm. don't know what it is, but they kind of want to stay away from it if they're mm. really in touch with what's really going on. Yeah, you know, there's this thing that actually Stephanie, my partner, you, you've spent yeah. some time with Steph, yeah. something that she said when we both, because we're uh, both born, born in the same year, it's like when we turned 50, she just looked at me one day and she goes, you know what? At 50, I realize I know what I know. 
I know what I don't know, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to talk about either one. Now, isn't that great? Isn't that refreshing? Yes. And willing to say it like it is, and yeah. not because I think human beings, John, have a pathetic need. And I'm going to say it in that way to look good. Yeah. To cover it up. To we got it we, at any at any at any stake. We have to you know be admired and respected, and and it's painful to be caught with your pants down in a sense, you know, inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we go to great lengths to hide that stuff. I remember there's a time when I was leading seminars and it was more about how I presented myself and how I looked and would I be admired rather than just telling the truth that I was not having a good day. Yeah. But, you know, at the Carlsbad Chamber, we do these first Friday breakfasts and they bring in an outside speaker. And there's, <laughs> yeah, there's usually 11, maybe 10 or 11 a year because like December, it's Christmas and we don't do it. But I got to tell you, it's like, I'd say 80 to 90% of the speakers spend the first 10 minutes talking about how great themselves are and everything they've accomplished. The yes. other 20%, and, and, and I just like turn off and just pick up a book and read it, and it's kind of where I'm at. But um, the other 20% that get my attention are the ones that start the story with, five years ago, I was living in my car. And that's real, isn't it? Yes. Like, yeah. And then they take you through the story of how they got from there to where they are today. Yes. And it, and, and people can relate to that. Sure. I mean, they can see it in their own lives because, you know, all of us have speed bumps we go through. Some of them have deep troughs they fall in. And sometimes it looks like you can't get out. And being real about that. And you know what it's like, you know, you go to a meeting and you're interacting with someone at an event sure. and uh, you're talking to someone and you drift off. And then the person who, who's talking to you says, do you understand just what I said? And you go, yeah. You don't really say it like, hey, I'm yeah. sorry, I drifted away. It wasn't personal. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got, I know like- I've gotten to a place of <laughs> if the speaker looked at me and, and I had drifted because for whatever reason, I would just say, not really. Want to try again? I mean, I, that's kind of that's kind of where I've gotten to. You know, it's just like, and let's have fun with this. Let's not be mean or derogatory or anything else. But you're asking, I'm telling. Yeah. Right. So, so that's what it is to be real about where you catch yourself not being real. And just one quote I found: mm-hmm. uh, former Medtronic CEO. And I think he's now a Harvard Business School professor, Bill George, his name was. He said, after years of studying leaders and their traits, I believe that leadership begins and ends with authenticity. Mm. And that's really good. Yeah. So what we've been talking about, you had mentioned uh, four pillars. Is this the like? I did, yes. And another one is you're willing to be responsible for everything in your life. Mm. So it's not the truth that you cause everything to happen. It's just you're willing to come from the perspective that maybe I have something to do with all of it in my life, even the stuff somebody else does to someone else, that you watch someone interact with someone in a way that doesn't work. You're willing to be responsible for it. And I'll tell you what it takes away. It takes away being a victim to anything. Mm, Love it. And it's just a, a stand you take. It's a place you look out into the world 
and say, this is where I'm going to come from in life is I'm going to be responsible for the littlest things, you know, like from the garbage to, you know, I was in a meeting several years ago. It had four or 500 people in the meeting. And I noticed in the back of the room, the way they had set up the chairs, if there was some emergency, like a fire in that room, people could not get out of there. Mm. So I went to the management and demanded of them in a very light and enrolling way. Not, But you're still them. carrying that bat behind you, right? No. Right. <laughs> That's my covert way of doing it. Yeah. If I didn't catch myself being that way, yes, I would have been that way. And I asked him, listen, this is a fire hazard. And I don't know. Uh, you don't want anybody to be hurt. So you think you could just move the chairs around like that so the entrance is clear and people can get out. I say, hey, thank you very much. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And it's little things like that. Yeah. So being willing to be cause in the matter really makes a huge difference. There, there's another piece I want to see if you agree with, which is that with the exception of a few rare cases, yep. kind of like with what's been going on with you know, Asians walking down the street and somebody coming up and kicking them and all that, that I know that, um, and there are certain contexts where that exists, but not including that. I actually think that read a book once called the four agreements, take nothing personally. Yes. Right. So it's like what I'm just curious to see if you agree that I've kind of taken the stance that really nobody can do anything to me at all. I'm not a victim. You can't do it to me. I do it to myself. I suffer myself partially by the thoughts I think that you're doing to me. Yes. When in fact, it's just not even possible. If That's right. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt, John. No, that's fine. That's a conversation. Well, you know, John, I, uh, it's not like the truth, but I totally get that that's the stand that you are. That yeah. you look out into life, and I'm going to live my life consistent with that perspective mm-hmm. and see what happens and see if I have power in life rather than victimized by anything else around me or what people may say. Or, yeah, you know, I, I think I kind of was naturally growing up that way. I, I grew up in New York City mm-hmm. and I didn't experience anti Semitism or uh, any of those things in the neighborhood that I was in. So I, I guess I was kind of fortunate in that aspect. But there are many other times I was a, really a victim to what people might say. You know, a kiss. <laughs> some woman, I was in a, a kid in a candy store and I'm walking into the candy store. And she says, you're ugly, and then walks away. And I go, see, as a kid, that was really painful. But mm. now when I look back, I might have had some power to say, that's not the case. You might, you might be having a bad day and you just said that. Yeah. Anyway. You, yeah. You talking to me? You talking to me? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. New York. You know, I don't know if I ever told you, but I was in New York. Uh, I was in New York for three days once. I had a software company in Santa Fe, um, Librasoft, and we developed the first uniform commercial code software for the banking industry. Mm. And uh, I got a call from our marketing people in New York said that the vice president of Chase wants you here tomorrow to demo the product to them. And I went, what? So anyway, I ended up there and I was picked up by my attorney uh, who lived in White Plains. And that was an experience because this guy actually put himself through college driving cabs. So he knew how to get around the city fast. He did. That's right. You know, but <laughs> Ed told me, you know, once I, once after, 
you know, anyway, he just told me, he says, I've really never seen anybody hit the streets in New York City harder than you. I mean, I'm, I didn't sleep for three days. I absolutely no. love New York. I love the culture. I love the people. It was just like, oh, my God, the whole world is right here. It really is in many different cultures, and it never sleeps. Yeah, it never sleeps. Right. Yeah, I'm sure it's changed with COVID. Well, now, but. I don't know. I haven't been back, but yeah. wow. So this thing about being caused, being responsible for all of it as a stand you take, just gives up the right to be a victim to anything. Mm. Then, you, then you've got power. When, when you, you and I live like a victim, like it's being done to us, you, you lose your power. You know, power, I mean, the, not force. I mean, your ability to really produce something in a very short period of time in an expansive amount. That's real power. Like when Obama became from a senator to president, it was very powerful, mm. very quickly. You said something just really interesting, which is giving up the right to be a victim. Yeah. So people do carry that around, right? By God, yeah, really I'm a victim. Yep. Mm. So I'm now going to be forceful and find a way to get back at that which is victimizing me. And, and you know, whenever you have one position against another, it's kind of like this. Mm -hmm. And it just adds more of a mass. It's hard to deal with something that is stressful and difficult. And, and, and heavy. And heavy. But if you're willing to look from the point of view, okay, I'm going to try this on like a stand. I'm going to own all of it. I'm responsible for that happening. It's not true. You know, you get ill or you get cancer. It's not you causing that cancer, but you could come from a place of, let's see, where where in my life can I be responsible for having this show up in my life? So what is what does responsible or responsibility mean to you? It means putting aside the my internal goings on, you know, my waxing and waning of my state of mind, my feelings, my um, emotional state, putting all that aside and being willing to be cause in the matter of whatever it is I'm dealing with. And at the same time, being willing to hold others responsible because, mm -hmm. you know, there are people They've chosen to be responsible in their leadership positions and their accountabilities. I can hold them to account for what they said they were going to do. Mm. Make it wrong doesn't work. Right. You know? Well, it's interesting because I've always, um, I heard a definition years ago that I, I kind of like reflect on often when responsibility comes up is, you know, responsibility is the ability to respond, simply put. You, that's it. Brilliantly said. And when you're a victim, you lose that power. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the question is, um, you get to choose how you want to respond. Yes. Now, you might automatically, because it's given you're human, respond with anger or upset or blame or any of those things. But if you can catch yourself fast enough, mm -hmm. you can let that go and be responsible. Many times when I'm in an argument with my wife, I know that she's the problem, not me. <laughs> and uh, I think we're together 40 years because I, a lot of the time I'm willing to step back eventually after I walk away because <laughs> I'm so upset and come back and say, you know, I'm the one who uh, is responsible. I'm taking responsibility of that. 
for that situation. Would you describe it then as freeing yourself? It frees both of us. Mm. Cause then she feels like, ah, she got listened to. Mm. Nice. And you know, we can then discuss the thing rather than I have to be right, which is one of the things about being a human being is we just have to be right to right to the end. Yeah. We won't let go. I actually went through a period early on when I was studying metaphysics, world religion, and nutrition at the Lewis Foundation off the coast of Seattle on Orcas Island. I was there like seven years from the age of 25 to 32. And there was another woman, Teresa, there that was there as well. And I was in the kitchen because we had a country in. It was a means of support for the foundation. And something came up, and the uh, one of the owners at the time his name was Star, was in, in the kitchen along with myself and Teresa. And Teresa and I sort of got into it. And she just kept on saying, you're wrong. And I would just not admit it. I got it. I, I yeah. just wouldn't admit it. And then Star is like fixing himself lunch or something. And this is a triple Aries, very forceful, powerful. And he literally threw me a bolt of energy that just actually knocked me on my butt. Wow. And said, you are absolutely wrong. And you really, <laughs> so everything, yeah, yeah, so everything, everything from that, you know, pretty much forward, I haven't really had much of a problem admitting that I'm wrong, you know, uh, to, well, to that, other people. The question is, am I willing to admit myself that I'm wrong to myself? Oh, that's the tough one. And that there's a certain cognitive dissonance. I think you might've heard that term that, there's this sense that what you're hearing doesn't fit your own belief. So right. you've got to stay, you know, true to your belief and it makes it impossible to learn anything. Yes. And it's costly. Yeah. There's an exercise I do. Uh, basically, I, sometimes I, I look at that and realize that there was some sort of vow taken that I took and that yes. it's a matter of not breaking the vow, but just redoing the vow or letting the go and then readjusting. I actually love that process. Yeah. Are are we still talking about the four pillars? We are. So last thing about that is that you give up the right to blame anybody else. Mm. You know, that blame game we play in organizations. Yeah. Us against them. And I, I worked at a telecommunications company in the marketing department was doing a great job marketing and we were selling more than we could deliver. So we were having fights with the, the team that executes putting in the cables and all sorts of things. And yeah, it just didn't work mm. rather than let's all get together and figure out a solution. I love cause it causing all of it. Yeah. So those are those two. The third one, if you look is being committed to something just much bigger than, you know, what satisfies you, what your own concerns are, what your own, what you're out for, like making money or I'm not knocking money. It's good to make money. Yeah. Cause it just helps you go wherever you want to go. But at any rate, and it can you help know, you serve other people if that's where your head's yeah, at. Yeah. But it's never satisfying. Every time I put a big check in the bank, it's great for about 20 minutes. And then that's, that's the end of that celebration. So I've seen being committed to something bigger than my own personal concerns gets me through the tough times. You know, the tough times when it's not going the way I want. And what people want to be around somebody is up to something. 
it's not just about cash or looking good or being admired or any of that. And I'm not knocking any of that. It's just that I think when you're in an organization and you're up to something big in life, people want to follow you. So, you know, Gandhi was up to something big. The British are just going to walk out of India. And they did. So can you create for yourself a bigger purpose than just success? Kind of gets you through the valley of tears, you know, when you're experiencing mm -hmm. those times. And you, uh, we all go through that. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a big movement. I think we all are um, mm. in terms of diversity. And, um, you know, there's a lot of change going on right now. A lot. Yes, very much so. So what else, Barry? So the last one is one of my favorites, and that is integrity. Oh, boy. There's, so there's, there's integrity of a, of a person, and then there's integrity of an organization. So if we're talking about, let's say, the integrity of an organization, the ultimate state of what integrity might look like is that the organization, let's start there, is whole and complete and honors what it's presenting out to the public and honors uh, standing by what it's offering its employees and vendors and others who interact with the organization. Congruency. Yes. And there are certain expectations that all, all of us have, you know, the the customers have certain expectations that delivery is going to be on time and it's going to be, um, you know, up to par and that the products that you're delivering, are, you stand behind those. They're not going to break the first week when they get them. All of that is a certain integrity, certain wholeness, certain um, completeness about it. By the way, mostly how we relate to integrity is morality and ethics. You know, you got to do the right things. You know, you got to be a good person. The only problem with that, as an example, is, you know, the terrorists also view integrity for them as doing the right thing for them as killing Americans or damaging people. Well, it doesn't work for everybody. It might work for them. It doesn't work for you and me. So we need to find another way to relate to integrity and i'm jumping around here and then that's back fine. To organization that you're fulfilling on what's expected of you of the organization by the way that's in in your job and how your job's designed it's in the design of the org chart oh the organizational the chart right so everybody's in the right positions and they're delivering on their right accountabilities in the organization they're interacting and communicating and that's designed in a way that fulfills and gets out into the world exactly what the organization is promising there's a lot of breakdowns that happen in there now as an individual we define integrity going beyond morality doing the right thing good or bad you know beyond following your moral compass is to the degree that integrity is diminished, the opportunity for performance is diminished. In other words, you know, when you have a bicycle wheel and you and it's in perfect condition, you can get the maximum performance out of that bicycle, can you? Out of that wheel. Now you start taking spokes out of there, and I would have a lot of concern about taking that on a long trip or over some rough roads or anything 
when one spoke is missing because it has less integrity to it. The same for a human being. We're, we're saying integrity has to do with that who you are is the word you give, my promises, my interactions with you on the requests I make of you. To how do you have that be whole, complete, and perfect condition, like a bicycle wheel? And that is you honor what comes out of your mouth. You know, I give you my word to you. And when I know that I'm not going to be able to keep my promise, I'm going to let you know in as much as early as I can that this is not going to happen. I said it was going to happen. Can we sit down and discuss it? Can we go over it? Can we fix it together? Rather than one day you finding out I didn't deliver on what I had promised. You can see organizationally as well as personally, like in your marriage. So that's a piece I really love. Me too. And it's like a foundation of a successful organization and a great life. But we're just a little blind to that. We just don't see there's another aspect to it. And I tell you something, if you if you and I practice giving our word, making promises, making commitments, and then honoring them when we know we can't, it builds this muscle within you, this strength, this, I like to call it a rock of Gibraltar, because nobody can mess with you. Literally, anybody's point of view is not a problem for you. You are unshakable when you practice that over over a period of time. That's what I've noticed. That's fantastic. So the bottom line is it all has to do with having things work in an organization. I call workability, having things work in your relationship. And my whole life, John, is about having things work because I don't want to mess with being upset a lot. It's stressful. Things break down. It's not very much fun, is it? No, not at all. So uh, I think that's another way. Again, it's not the truth. It's something we've heuristically tested, and it seems to be valid of looking at integrity as distinct from morality and ethics. You know, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put something forth. I uh, there was a period where I took myself through an exercise, and I basically said. There is no such thing as truth. Mm, mm. It's like along the lines of you cannot argue another person's reality. So anyway, I started walking that for a while with it in front of me. I wake up in the morning yeah. and, and just see how that applies or not to the, you know, to the rest of the world. And, it, and then what it, what it did for me is it just flipped me into um, curiosity Oh, very good. And wonderment. And wonderment. It's like, oh, my God. So I typically don't understand, you know, people's bias or, you know, personally myself, I love to walk in another person's moccasins. I want to know. You know, I learned this when I was in Santa Fe, when I lived there most of my adult life, 24 years, because I was a minority. It was mostly Hispanic and uh, American Indian. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think it still is, you know, but it was like, um, you know, learning another person's, you know, way of being is just delightful to me. Mm. It's very, Mm. very rich. And it's, um, yeah, there's an artistic uh, part to it as well, you know. And, you know, what you're observing is their truth is truth for them. Right. The way they see it, even though if it doesn't fit 
the way you and I see it. Yeah. Once again, it's like pounding your fist down and going, no, this is the way it is. You know? Yeah. Not for me, yeah. For you, maybe not. Or anybody else. So, Barry, I'm kind of curious. This is your business. I mean, you work with businesses. Can you tell me a story about a business that you've worked with? or Yeah, I can tell you one. There was a mining company, my colleague Sharon and I, she's from the East Coast, who also does this kind of work, were working in Australia. It was a very large mining organization. And the VP of exploration brought us in to work with their ex- exploration department. And they had a $60 million budget. Mm to each of the, there were regions. So you had New Guinea, you had China, you had South America, you had the US, you had all these various regional offices that would mine and they were looking for world-class ore bodies. And at that time, this talking about in the 90s, it was $19,000 to drill a hole. That's expensive. Mm. In today's money, that'd probably be triple that amount, right? Mm. So, they would all fight for their portion of the 62 million. Wow. And yeah. the meetings, you'd get together every year to see where the money's going, and it would end up being more arguing and fighting and trying to prove, hey, this is our money, and the, we've got the best ones, and da-da-da-da, and they would just, uh, it was just painful. So they'd just give it to somebody and hope for the best. When we went in there in three or four days, because we had about – 40 people we were working with, we were able to transform that group to see things in a whole nother perspective. That is, they created a vision or, or a context, if you will. They called it 10 in 10, hmm. which meant, okay, this is how we've operated in the past. Nothing wrong. You know, we did the best we could. We're now going to take on a whole nother vision. Like Kennedy said, we're going to the moon and returning safely. Remember that? Yeah. That was a big vision. That was a context. They created this 10 in 10, 10 world-class ore bodies in 10 years. And the statistics at that time were one in seven if you were lucky. So they took that on and looking from that vision, from that stand, like you're at the top of the mountain and you did 10 and 10 and you're looking down, how did we get there? They decided, all right, we're going to let go of our agendas and we're going to be one team and we're going to now separate and look where is the most likelihood of drilling successfully? Where in the world? And they went here, here and here. And then they started to send all of their resources to each one of those locations. And they said, they went to the VP and say, we don't need 62 million. We only need like 50 something, which he went, what? Everybody wants more money. You're asking for less. Yeah, because we're going to do it for less. So they went under budget, took on that project. And within a year, they started to produce one world-class ore body a year discovery. I can extraordinary. Yeah. And now I can see when I uh, wind back to the four pillars you were talking about, uh-huh. how all yeah. of those were in play and especially, you know, Very good. yeah, I can see, I can see how that, uh, that unfolded. So largely it's about a larger vision and a unified perspective. 
It's like together. Yeah, and honoring your word with each other and being real about it and willing to be responsible. It's just the foundation of workability and miracles, if you will. I don't want to get touchy-feely here, but extraordinary things happen when you're operating on standing on those four pillars. Nice. You know, take one pillar away and it's weaker. And that's not the whole story because what we, we do at Integritus is free people up. See, we come from the point of view you already are a leader. Now, we need to take away that which is not allowing you to be free to be who you need to be in the moment you need to be. Kind of like Michelangelo, when he looked at that big piece of marble, there was David. Now, how do I chip away so that I get the real David? And look what he did. And he, he was operating from a huge vision of God and, mm. and life. Mm -hmm. All right, Barry, I have a question for you. Yes. <laughs> so I'm sure you've had several, but give me one moment or time in your life that was truly defining and everything changed. Everything changed? That were, or that was defining oh, yeah. for you? Well, one of them was I gave everything up here in Denver, moved my entire family, just had a baby. Well, let me see. Is that the one I want to give? Yeah, that's one of them. And got to start on a new job, and within a few months, they fired me. Mm. And that, oh, my God, I just moved my entire family out here. They just didn't need me. You know, they, they were cutting costs and all of that. So, great. What am I going to do now? And rather than sit and be a victim to it, I sat with it for a few minutes and, you know, enjoyed the victimhood. <laughs> <laughs> and then went on, you know, a vision of what do I really want? And I found some extraordinary people to consult with and joined an organization I spent eight years with traveling all over the world doing this kind of work. It was, it was just great. And I've had a couple of those, and I'm sure you had in life. Oh, yeah. yeah we yeah. all get confronted by that. Yeah, a door, sh a door shuts, and you're going, wait a minute. Yeah. The why did that door shut? What, what happened here? The best thing that happened to you. Yeah, I, I love it. I, you know, it's like I told you earlier about, no, you're wrong. And, yeah. you know, that was a defining moment for me, and I've had so many. But that was that, a real defining moment for me. It changed my character. And you know what, John? That's what we call crucible events. Like George Lucas had a severe car accident and wrapped his car around a tree when he was young. Mm. And it changed his whole life, I understand. Mm -hmm. And all of us, who even the listeners here, have had these divorces, people passing away in our lives, just experiences that define our lives. In terms of who you are, there's an easier way to do it. And that's what our programs offer is you don't, we don't want you to go through a crucible life to be a powerful leader. There are other ways you can use language, speaking and listening to transform who you are. And we've cracked the code on that sucker. Well, we could call this episode an easier way to be you. <laughs> an easier way to be you and extraordinary you. An easier way to be an extraordinary you. Yeah. With Barry Berman. And John, an awesome human being. Well, thanks, Barry. <laughs> I, I'm so glad we got to this conversation. It's been it's been a long time coming, right? Yeah, we yeah, we got it done. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And I wanna like really encourage people out there 
to stop by whathasmyattention.com. That's the podcast site. And leave me, you can leave us an audio message. You can actually leave an audio message, a question for Barry. Or you can just reach out to us. But really want to encourage people to just give us some feedback and let us know what you thought about that. And if you'd like to actually have Barry come back, just let us know. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Well, Barry, thanks for being here. I love you. I do. Ditto. Thanks for the invitation. I loved it. Love to do it again. All right. Until next time. Produced by Heard Not Seen Media, visit imaginepodcasting.com for more information.